You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, y'all. Well, we'll pray and we'll jump into Word tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for another opportunity to gather tonight around the Word of God. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for your presence, for your anointing. Lord, we thank you for the Word and that the Word is alive. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus spoke and he said that my words, they are spirit and they are life. And so, Lord, I thank you that as we feed upon the Word tonight, it brings life it brings revelation and insight. And Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and we invite him to bring thank revelation you. into our lives. Thank you for revealing, bringing light. And Lord, I thank you that as we do, our faith is going to be built up. And Lord, we're going to be changed by your word and your presence tonight. And we thank you for it, and we believe that we receive it. In yes. Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, well, let's look at our uh, foundation scriptures for uh, this particular study. This is week 15 in our study, looking at the healings of Jesus. And uh, as I have told you before, I, I am thoroughly enjoying this. We just have a few more to go, but, um, you know, this has been a huge blessing to me, really stirred my heart regarding uh, some things about healing and reminded me of some things. And, of course, that's always good. And so I, I hope it's been a blessing to you as well. But let's look at John chapter 21 and verse 25. John 21 and verse 25. I'll read it out of the New King James and then I'll read it to you out of the Amplified. The New King James says this, And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. The Amplified says this, And there are also many other things which Jesus did, if they should all be recorded one by one in detail, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain or have room for the books that would be written. And then you're right there by the book of Acts. Let's go over to Acts chapter 10 and look at verse 38. Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. This is a great scripture. This again is in a message that Peter is preaching at Cornelius' household and uh, he's preaching the gospel and talking about the works of Jesus. And so it says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now this verse tells us a couple of things. Number one, it tells us that healing is good because Jesus went about doing good and healing. And so we know that healing is good. Then the other thing I want you to see is, is that this verse implies to us that that sickness and disease is an oppression from the devil. It says that he went about healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And I think any of us who have been sick probably can attest to that, that sickness and disease is an oppression that comes from the enemy. Now, um, you know, obviously the enemy is the direct source of it as far as going back to um, the curse being released into the earth, but uh, he, it, that sickness and disease is definitely 
not the will of God. Because here's what we do know. Notice it says that, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And we know God doesn't anoint people that aren't doing the will of God. <laughs> so we know Jesus fulfilled the will of God everywhere he went. So healing is the will of God. We see it played out and ministered in Jesus' ministry. We know that it's good. And we also know that Jesus came to set us free from all the oppression of the enemy. And so just wanted to uh, remind you of those things. Now, again, as we've been saying every single week, if you look at verse 34 above what we just read there in Acts 10, 38, Peter said this, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. One translation says that God is not a respecter of persons. So the good thing about studying all these cases of healings is that if we can do what the people did, we can receive what they got because God is no respecter of persons. What he did for one, he will do for all. And so you need to understand and, be, and rejoice when you hear testimonies of how God has moved in somebody's life because, again, if he did it for them, he will do it for you you just have to receive it uh, the same way that they did. And so that's one thing that's exciting about this. Now, to a couple of reasons, again, just to hit on this, that we've been studying these miracles is number one, so you can learn how to receive healing for yourself. And then also, so we can learn about how to minister healing to other people. And uh, so a couple of scriptures we've been looking at, Matthew, just make a note of them, Matthew chapter 4. And verse 23, and then also Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35, both summarize the ministry of Jesus, and it says that he went about teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So we see that Jesus' three priorities were teaching, preaching, and healing. Now he did those things. Uh, you know, sometimes he did one without the other, but we see that most of the time when Jesus would go into a village or a place to minister, that he would not only preach the gospel, but he would spend time teaching the word of God to the people in order to build their faith so that they could receive healing from him. Now we've been saying this as well, and that is this, what you hear is going to be what you have faith to receive. And so that's why Jesus took the time to teach the Word of God so that the people could hear the Word and receive what the Word promised. Now, you know, somebody might say, well, what did Jesus teach on? Well, you know, as we studied last week in the case we looked at, that he was teaching, and, and, and just by implication, he was teaching on healing because the people had faith to receive healing where he was teaching. And so that tells us that Jesus was teaching on healing from the Word of God. And by the way, healing is talked about and taught on in the Old Testament. You know, of course, Jesus didn't have the New Testament to teach from. He taught from scriptures in the Old Testament, but there are plenty of scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about healing. You know, I'm reminded about Psalm 103 where David wrote and said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, and forget none of his benefits who forgives all my iniquities, who heals all of my diseases. And so there are other scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about and discuss healing as well. So, you know, that's what Jesus was using. And probably what he was doing also 
was preaching it from the standpoint of covenant, that these people were in covenant. You know, he was ministering to the Jews, and they were in covenant with God through Abraham, and healing was part of that covenant. It was part of that promise that was given to Abraham. And so let's look, move on. Let's look at Luke chapter 7. If you want to back up and look at Luke chapter 7, and we're going to look at the case of the healing of the centurion's servant. Now, we don't directly know what the centurion's name was. We just know that he was a centurion. And so it says in Luke chapter 7 and verse 1, it says that now when he, Jesus, concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he the centurion, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, turned around, and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. So let's break this down. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. And let's gain a little insight into what's going on here. So in Luke chapter 7, verse 1 again, And when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to the centurion was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, and talking about the centurion, he, the centurion, sent elders to the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. Now look at verse 2. It says, And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. Now this will encourage us, okay, from this standpoint. We can see that this sickness that the centurion was experiencing was already in advanced stages, and the servant was on his way to death. He was on his way to dying according to what the scripture says. It says that he was sick and he was ready to die. Now the good news in this is that Jesus responded and was not moved by the advanced stage of this sickness. In other words, this shows us that nothing is too far gone for Jesus to heal someone to meet that need or to move in any situation. You might want to write that down. This shows us that no situation is too far gone for Jesus to heal someone to meet that need or to move in any situation. 
You know, sometimes I think maybe we fall into a, a little bit of a misbelief where we think, you know, somebody goes to the doctor and they get a diagnosis from the doctor that they have stage four cancer and they have a limited amount of time to live and so forth, that that is a hard situation and, uh, you know, it's too hard for the Lord. Well, absolutely not too hard for the Lord. You know, Jesus, just because of where somebody's physical condition might be, as long as they have breath in their lungs, they are still a candidate to re be able to receive from the ministry of Jesus. So your situation, and it might not be sickness and disease, but your situation is not too far gone for Jesus to meet that need or to move in your situation. So don't ever write it off. Don't ever say, well, you know, this is just too bad. And, uh, you know, just, just write it off and say, well, there's nothing that I can do, so there must not be anything God can do. Now, you know, I want to encourage you, if you know about something, deal with it before it gets worse. But, you know, sometimes it can't be avoided. Sometimes that's what happens. And Jesus still responded to this man and to this centurion. So Jesus did not consider the man too far gone, the servant too far gone, and the centurion did not consider it was too late. And that's huge, because that tells us a lot about the faith of the centurion. The, faith, uh, the centurion's faith, he believed that Jesus could move no matter how bad off this servant was. And so that's very, very important. And so, you know, I just want to say it this way. The power of God can move and will move in things that look like it is too late. Okay, and I, I want, I'm reminding myself of that. I'm reminding you all of that, that just because it looks like it's over and it's too late does not mean that God cannot and will not move in that situation. Mm -hmm. So just be reminded of that. So let's talk about this centurion for just a moment because this will come into play later on in our, our study of this particular case. A centurion was called a centurion because he was an officer in the Roman army and somebody tell me, what is a, a century? Yes. How many? A hundred. A hundred, all right. So a centurion was called a centurion because he was over at least a hundred soldiers under him. So this man who, uh, you know, was had evidently worked his way up in the Roman army. Now, of course, you know, at this time, that the Romans were occupying Israel, uh, that it had become part of the Roman Empire, and so they were in occupation there. And so this particular centurion had at least a hundred men under him, under him, and so he was definitely a man who was in charge. Okay, so he was a leader, and he knew how to lead and to uh, bring people under his his command. And so he must have heard something of Jesus because, and somehow knew that Jesus was a healer, not because of what uh, the man said, but because of what he did. In other words, he requested what he knew of Jesus. So he knew or requested healing from Jesus. So this tells us this is what he knew about Jesus, okay? 
So what you hear about Jesus matters. You know, there's some people that have heard some wrong information about Jesus. You know, there's some people that have heard that Jesus is not a healer, that healing passed away with the apostles. Some have heard that that God uses sickness and disease to teach people. Some have heard that God will heal some, but he won't heal all. And, and you know, just all kinds of different things. And it's very important what you hear about Jesus. And you need to hear the correct things about Jesus. Jesus is a healer. He was a healer in this day, and he's still a healer today. He bought and paid the price for our healing. It is the will of God for you to be healed. It is the will of God for you to overcome sickness and disease. And so we need to know these things so that we are correctly informed and have a capacity for faith to believe what Jesus really will do. So these things mattered to this centurion. Now, here's what I, 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 the reason I said what I just said is this. If you hear the wrong thing, you'll believe the wrong thing. Now, here's why a lot of people believe what I just described. It's because they've been told that. Ministers have stood in pulpits and preached and taught things incorrectly from the Word of God. And because people did not study it out for themselves, they just took it and received it. And so therefore, it has become part of their belief system. But we thank God we can hear the right things and therefore we can believe the right things and receive the right things from the Lord. All right? Now, let's talk a little bit more about the centurion. Okay? Um, centu the centurion, again, was a soldier. Now, he must have loved the people of Israel because if you, if you look at um, verse 4, it says, When they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that, the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Now, why? For he loves our nation, and he has built us a synagogue. So this tells us a couple of things about the, the centurion. Number one, he was a man of means, because you don't build, go around building synagogues unless you have some money. Okay. The other thing that it tells us is that, as this scripture says, he genuinely loved the people of Israel. And so he had a heart. He had a regard for the people of Israel. You know, I'm sure that uh, the majority of Roman soldiers that were there, that were just there as an occupational force, really didn't care about the people. They really weren't concerned about the people. But this man was genuinely concerned about the Jewish people. Now, I want to ask you a question. Who was it that, that the centurion sent to come and get Jesus? What does the scripture say? What does it say in verse 3? So when he heard of Jesus, elders. Elders of who? What does it say? Elders of? Of the Jews. Right. Right. So here's what happened. Because of this man's regard for the Jewish people, he was able to ask the leaders of the Jews in his particular town to go and to get Jesus. Now, what did they do? They did it. They went and got Jesus. Why? Because they believed that this man genuinely loved them and that he had a regard for them. Now, a couple of things that this tells us is that this centurion had a respect 
for not only the Jewish people, but for God. It also tells us that uh, he had respect for what the Jews considered to be holy. And so there was something that this centurion had in his heart, and uh, he believed that, and so that's what facilitated Jesus to be able to go uh, to to his his home or, or be asked to come to his home. Now, I want to say this to you, going back to tie in what I said earlier. People have something to do. You have something to do. I have something to do with what we receive from Jesus. Okay? Now, what do I mean by that? Salvation belongs to every human being whether they receive it or not. Healing belongs to every human being whether they receive it or not. Why? Because we know, of course, the price has been paid. Jesus paid the price for both of these at the cross. So here's what I, I, just a little side note that I want to just mention to you. Just because somebody does not get saved and unfortunately leaves this earth separated from God does not mean that salvation is not for everybody. All right? Mm -hmm. What do I mean by that? Which This is what we've done with healing. You know, we have said, well, so-and-so didn't get healed. You know, my grandmother prayed for healing. She believed like you do, and so, but yet she didn't get healed. So therefore, healing must not be for us today. Well, it's funny how we do that for healing, but we don't do that where salvation is concerned. You know, we might know of someone that, that died, and we don't know whether they were saved or born again or not. But yet we don't throw out salvation because they didn't receive salvation. But people do that where healing is concerned. And the thing that we have to understand is that the price has been paid for both. And here's what I wanted to want you to get. Listen to this. Don't allow what happened in someone else's life to move you when you are endeavoring to believe God. Okay, very, very important. Let me say that again. Don't allow what happened in someone else's life to move you when you are endeavoring to believe God. So, you know, I'm sorry that that loved one, uh, you know, was trying to believe God for healing, and, and unfortunately, they didn't receive their healing, and they went home to be with the Lord. I'm sorry that that happened. But we cannot allow situations like that to determine what we believe. Okay, so that's very, very important. If you allow what happens in someone else's life to move you, it's going to weaken your faith and your ability to be able to receive from the Lord. Now, here's why this is so important. You and I do not know what's really in someone's heart. And here's what I've learned in pastoring. People very often, they mean well, but they very often say what they think you want them to say. So when you, you know, if you're endeavoring to minister healing to someone, they might tell you, yes, I'm believing God. They might say all the right things, and, and that's good, but really in the depth of their heart, they truly don't believe that they will receive their healing. But, the, you know, and we don't write them off for that. Unfortunately, 
what we do is we proceed and we try and believe with them, try to get them to our level of faith by, by encouraging them and ministering the word to them. But I want you to understand that if that happens to someone, do not let it uh, affect you and what you believe where healing and receiving from the Lord is concerned. Okay? Now, let me just say this as well. If a believer goes home to be with the Lord, they have not lost. They did not lose the battle. They win either way. All right? Any believer who goes home to be with the Lord and goes to heaven, uh, you know, still wins. Heaven is an awesome place, okay? And they, you know, they're no longer dealing with pain and sickness and disease. Now, you know, that might not have been God's highest and best for them, but they still didn't lose, all right? So don't ever look at that as a, as a defeat, all right? Now, the, let's go back to the, the servant. The servant was able to receive from Jesus, now listen to me carefully, because mm -hmm. his employer believed for him. Now this servant was a member of the centurion's household. The centurion was the head of that household. And the centurion could use his faith to believe for someone that was a part of his household. Just like you can believe for healing for someone that is a part of your household and under your scope of authority. So if you have children, the young children that are living with you, you can believe God for healing for them. You can pray over them, pray the prayer of faith, and uh, it's dependent on your faith and not necessarily their faith. Now, there will come a time when they grow and mature and they have to learn how to use their faith for themselves. But while they're young or they're part of your household, you can use their, your faith for them and uh, you can determine some things that happen in your household. All right? Now, the soldier, the centurion, initiated this healing miracle for his servant by sending someone to go and to get Jesus. So he began this process. When you hear the word on healing, it gives you the right to initiate healing in your life. Notice what it says. It says in verse 3, So when he heard about Jesus, then he sent the elders. So he heard, faith arose in his heart, and he initiated the healing. You can hear, you can have faith in your heart, and you can initiate healing in your life. The reason I'm saying that is sometimes we wait around for God to initiate everything. What you're going to find, and I've said this before, but what you're going to find is a large portion of what you receive from the Lord, you will initiate, not God. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people find themselves waiting on God to move when in essence God is waiting on us to move. God is waiting on us to believe Him. God is waiting on us to initiate what we need from Him. And so, you know, we're not waiting on the Lord, particularly with things like this that Jesus has already bought and paid for. The price has already been paid. So God is waiting on us to initiate and to take a move in that direction, all right? So 
Um, let me say this. He, God has provided it and he's waiting for you to come and get it. You know, it's like uh, when I was growing up and my mother would cook dinner, she would cook it, but I still had to come and get it. All right? Same thing is true with believing God. God has prepared it. He's done the work, but we still have to come and get it. We still have to take some steps. We still have to take the initiative and move uh, towards him with that. All right? So look at verses 4 and 5. It says, Now when they, the elders, came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying, that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Now, it is commendable what this centurion had done. And as I said, he did it because he loved the people. But I want you to understand this. Jesus did not move in this man's life because he deserved it. I want, want us to get that. God does not move in your life because you deserve it. He moves in your life because you believe him for it. And there's Amen. a difference. Okay? We can do nothing to deserve or earn what God does for us. But we can believe God for it, and he will move on our behalf. Okay? So it's very, very important. So you do not earn something from Jesus but this shows that the centurion did have a reverence from God and was willing to believe God. Okay, Now, how do we know that? Well, again, it says that the, the centurion built them a synagogue. So he used his own funds to build them a synagogue. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 21, and we've talked about this in our study uh, that we're covering on Sundays, that Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this man had mm -hmm. devoted his own finances to build these people a synagogue. So what that tells us is his heart was there. His heart was for the people. So he must have had a heart towards God and God's people because that's where his treasure went. So mm -hmm. Luke uh, 7 and verse 6 so the elders came and they said, for he loves our nation. He's built us a synagogue. Verse six, then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Now this is huge. Now, let me say this. The centurion did not say, Lord, I'm not worthy because he had a poor self-image. All right? That's not what he was saying. What he was saying is he, the, the centurion had such a high regard for the things of God that he did not take it lightly that Jesus would come to his house. Mm -hmm. Do you see that? Okay, big difference in thinking, oh, I'm so unworthy big difference from that. And I have such a high honor and reverence for the things of God. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that I don't esteem that Jesus would come to my house lightly. And I, I want us, I want to encourage us all in, in this. We need to esteem the things of God higher than we do. 
We, we should not take the things of God lightly. All right? We ought to have a deep respect, a deep awe, a deep reverence for the things of God, just like this centurion had. And, and you know, this centurion was off, obviously a successful man. He was over at least 100 soldiers. He was a man of means. He had built this synagogue. But even though he had uh, experienced this level of success in his affairs, he did not regard himself to be equal to Jesus spiritually. Mm-hmm. He maintained an attitude of reverence towards Jesus. Now, isn't that something how this man, being a Roman, a Gentile, had that much respect and reverence for Jesus and what Jesus was anointed to do and to be, that then the, the very leaders of the Jewish religion, basically, all they did was harass Jesus. All they did was try and, and uh, you know, point out the things he was doing wrong or try and point out the things that he was doing wrong. So this man, the centurion, uh, he went a long ways in winning the heart of the Lord. Now, now mm. let, me, let me say this to you. You know, when I was growing up, one thing I appreciate about my, my mom, my parents, was the fact that uh, they taught me manners. Okay. Yeah. What do I mean mm-hmm. by that? They taught me how to approach other adults. Mm-hmm. I was taught to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Yes, sir. No, sir. Now, was I perfect at it? No. Uh, mm-hmm. But, you know, I tried. Okay. But, you know, I was told that uh, if an adult speaks to you, you respond back. You don't ignore them. Mm-hmm. You know, so what I'm saying is this. I was taught how to approach someone who was higher in authority than I was. All right. Mm -hmm. So this centurion had an understanding uh, how to properly approach someone in authority. Now, where do you think he got that from? What, Gail? His training. What, Brenda? That's in his training. His, his training in what? In the army. Right. His military training. He had been trained and taught because, you know, if you're familiar with the military at all, you don't just approach a senior officer any old way. And so he was taught how to approach someone in authority. And so this is what he he, uh, you know, he carried over. So uh, here, this is what's good about this man is he took what he learned in the natural, in the military and brought it over and applied it spiritually. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Amen. he transferred what he understood about the military and the way the military functions and operates and brought it over to the spiritual and it gave him a huge head start to Jesus. In other words, it gave him a huge head start in being able to receive from the Lord. So we, we get in and we begin to look at it. Um, in verse, um, look at verse eight. He said for, well, let me back up to verse seven again. 
Therefore, I do not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. So let's break this down. Let's look at this. So the centurion started out saying, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof. And uh, he said, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. Now, I want to say mm -hmm. this. What was this man after? He was after healing for his servant, obviously, but it goes deeper than that. What was he really after? He says it in verse 7. God's authority? Well, be more specific. His power? Read, His... read verse 7. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but what? Say the word. Say the, the word. word. Say mm -hmm. the word, and my servant will be healed. Mm -hmm. That's what this centurion was really after. He didn't need Jesus to come to his house. He needed Jesus to just speak a word, and he knew his servant would be healed. Let me tell you something. That is the highest level of faith right there when all you need is the word of God. When all you need is the word of God in order to receive from the Lord, you know, it, I, I, you know I've probably been guilty of this you know, I might not have articulated it, but, you know, I thought to myself, gosh, you know, if Jesus would just appear to me, it sure would make my faith go a lot, whole lot further. All right? That's not true. That absolutely will do nothing for your faith. What does, what builds your faith and what is the highest level of faith is when you go to the Word and you say, Lord, I need your Word on this situation. What does your Word say about my situation? What does your word say about that financial need? What does your word say about this sickness and disease? What does your word say about these problems that I'm facing? And when you start approaching the Lord on that level, that gets Jesus' attention, which we'll see in just a second. All right? So in the Amplified Bible of Matthew's version of this story, the centurion said this, uh, the centurion replied to him, Lord, I'm not worthy or fit to have you come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be cured. So what we see here, you know you are in faith when all you need is God's word on the situation. Now listen, I'll pray with you. I'll help you. I'll lay hands on you. I'll do whatever I can to help you. But listen, you don't even need me doing those things if you have the Word. There is enough power in one word from Jesus to fix your situation, whatever that situation might be. Okay? So the centurion told Jesus all he needed was the Word for his servant. So now look at verse 8. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another one, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, 
What did this centurion understand? He understood that Jesus functioned by the power of words. That Jesus knew the power of his word and the centurion understood the same thing. That's what he's saying to Jesus when he talked about having authority. In other words, and this if you'll think about it, this is the way the military functions. If you say a word, it has to be obeyed. Mm-hmm. Okay? Jesus knew this in when he functioned in the ministry, and this centurion knew it for his functioning, his operating in the military. That's why he said, if I tell this one to go, he goes. If I tell another one to come here, he comes here. If I tell my servant to do this, he does it. What is he saying? Not that he's a big shot. He's saying that I understand the power of words and the authority that words carry. And Jesus, all I need is you to say one word under your authority and it will take care of this situation. All right? So what is he saying? He understands that words of authority were to be obeyed without argument. That's what the military teaches you. That's what they start day one in boot camp, is that you are to obey the words of authority without argument. So here's what this centurion understood. If Jesus spoke the word, that sickness had to obey without argument. Mm -hmm. It had to obey. It had to do what Jesus said for it to do. Now here's what I want you to see. God, through what Jesus has done for us, has given you the same divine authority over the works of the devil in Jesus' name. So when you speak a word in Jesus' name and you command something to move in your life, whether it's something to go, whether it's to come, whether it's to do this or do that, in the name of Jesus, it has to obey without any argument. Amen. Now that's powerful. That's, mm-hmm. That is hugely important. And some of us need to get to talking. We need to get to telling some stuff to go, some stuff to come, and some stuff to do this and do that. All right? Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. It's not in your authority. Of course, it's in the authority of Jesus when we use his name. But, you know, we read this scripture last week in James 4, 7 where the the scripture says, stand up to the devil and resist him and he will turn and run away from you. You need to understand, he has to obey the name of Jesus, words spoken in that name without argument. Well, somebody said, well, pastor, I tried that and he didn't leave. That's what he wants you to believe. Listen, If I open my mouth and I say, in Jesus' name, this has to happen. Satan, you are bound in Jesus' name. Sickness, you have to go in Jesus' name. I don't give sickness and disease an opportunity to argue with me because it has no authority to argue with the name of Jesus. It has to obey that name. It has to obey 
what the word says. So you can speak authority just like this centurion recognized and like Jesus did, and you can command some things to come and go and to move and to do and so forth and so on, and you will get the same results. Now, faith has to be released through your words and through your actions. Don't forget about your words. Don't forget about, you know, opening your mouth and saying, no, this is not going to happen in Jesus' name. Because here's what you, what you really need to understand. Apart from the name of Jesus, the most powerful tool you have in your arsenal is your words. Or are your words, yeah. I guess, is the more correct grammar. Okay? So this is what this centurion recognized. This is what he understood, and this is what he carried over from his military training to this, this spiritual application. He recognized Jesus functions with authority just like I function with authority. And if Jesus says it has to happen, whatever it is he's talking to has to obey without argument. And here's the good news. The same thing will work for you in Jesus' name. All right? Now, you can't just be yelling stuff in your own name. You've got to do stuff according to the word and in the name of Jesus. But when you do, when you speak those words, there is, it has to obey without argument. All right? And we need to get that down on the inside of us. So look at verse 9. So, you know, this has been repeated to Jesus, what the centurion said. And so when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Now, we only see Jesus marveling a handful of times in the scriptures. The Bible says that when he went into his own hometown and he couldn't minister there because of their unbelief, it says he marveled at their unbelief. There's been a couple of times, by the way, both of the times they were Gentile people, where it says that they came to Jesus and released their faith, and when they did, Jesus marveled at their faith. This is one of them. And if you'll remember the woman who told Jesus, you know, even the little dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. The scripture says Jesus marveled at her faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I want Jesus to marvel at my faith. I don't want him saying, Lord, you need to work. You got to work on your faith a little bit. All right. So again, let me remind you what caused Jesus to marvel at this man's faith was the fact that he understood the power of words that were spoken by the Lord and were meant to obey, be obeyed without argument. So Jesus turned around and said to the crowd that followed him. Now, I want to pause right here. Let me, let me ask you a question. Who was it that came to Jesus to get Jesus for the centurion? Elders. Uh, say again. The elders. The elders of the Jews. So you got to picture mm -hmm. yourself. Jesus is walking towards a centurion's house. So the crowd that's following him is made up mostly of these elders of the Jews. All right. So Jesus, when he hears this, these words that were spoken to him by the centurion, they were repeated to him by someone else. 
he turns around to the Jews that are following him and look at what he says. He marveled, he turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. This was a strong rebuke to these religious leaders who were not functioning in faith. Okay? And, and those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. So the centurion had sent these elders to Jesus to get Jesus to come. They repeated the words to Jesus that the centurion had spoken. And so Jesus turns it and makes it a faith lesson for these elders of the Jews that had come to get him. Now, this man's faith was great and caused Jesus to marvel. Now, what was it that made this man's faith great? I'll give you a hint. Okay. Uh, when the servant was healed. Well, what does it say in verse 7? We talked about it just a little bit ago. What did the centurion ask for? Say it. Say again, Ruby. Say the word. Say the word. This man's, what caused Jesus to marvel at this man's faith was the fact that the, all the centurion wanted was a word. Jesus, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. The word of Jesus was enough for a man. Listen to me. The word of Jesus was enough for a man that was at the point of death. You remember I said his servant was at the very point of death. In other words, it, 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 in the natural, it looked like it was all over. But one word from Jesus was enough to snatch that man away from the situation that he was in and to bring him help and healing and recovery. One word. Now, thank God, we have a whole Bible full of Jesus' words. Mm -hmm. All right? Amen. Now, here's what the soldier understood. That it, this servant was facing a life and de death situation but he knew the word would win the fight. And this is what we've got to get down in our hearts. The soldier was facing for his servant a life and death situation, but what he knew in his heart was that the word would win the fight. And I want to tell you, no matter what you might be facing, the word will win the fight. Whether it's healing, whether it's a need, whether it's peace, whatever it is, the Word of God will win the fight. And so if you don't get anything else out of this lesson tonight, get that last sentence right there. Because that's what this, this centurion understood was... This might be a hopeless situation. This might be, you know, this situation is in dire straits. But what I do know is that the word of God will win the 
fight. Right. Mm -hmm. And the same thing is true for you and for me. The word will win the fight. So if we will get the word down in our hearts, the word mm -hmm. will win the fight. The fight. You know, I, mm -hmm. I uh, was sharing with someone recently, you know, who's who's facing some some tough circumstances in their life, and um, you know that they, they had believed God and God had brought them brought them through a a a earlier situation, and they had gotten the victory in that situation. And so now they were facing a, another uh, difficulty. And, uh, you know, basically what I told them is the same word that got you through that last situation is the same word that will get you through this situation. Amen. The word will not fail. God's word, it is impossible for God's word to fail. And the same Amen. word that brought you victory last time is the same word that will bring you victory this time. Somebody says, well, do I need a new word? No, you don't need a new word. Just use the same word that, that you used last time. Use the same word that's down in your heart. Okay? Because you will never exhaust the power of God that's in his word. Uh, you know, I don't care if you face the same situation 10 times. You're never going to exhaust the word of God. Just keep applying the word to it. Keep standing Amen. faith on what the word Amen. says and you will win the fight. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.